and welcome to Sprinkles of SEL with U2L. I'm Lauren. And I'm Naratha. Thank you guys for joining us for our very first episode of Sprinkles of SEL. We are the SEL team at United to Learn, and we are so excited to jump in and talk a little bit about SEL wellness, healthy habits, all of the above as it pertains to those in the education space. So if you are an educator uh, from one of our Dallas ISD partner campuses, thanks for joining us. Um, Leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform with your name and your campus to be entered into a raffle for a prize that we will announce at the next episode. You can also email it directly to us at sel at unitedtolearn.org. And if you are not from one of our partner campuses, we would still love to hear from you. Please share your reflections, your thoughts, your comments, any topics that are on your mind that you would love to hear more about from us by giving us a review or just sending us an email at sel at unitedtolearn.org. Thanks, Namratha. So let's dig into it. Today, we're going to cover what is SEL and why is it important in education? So I would argue it's important in more than just the education space. (laughs) And how do we develop that social, emotional competence within ourselves through the effective filter, which is the other topic we're going to cover directly into the effective filter? But first, before we totally dive in, I wanted to share a quote from my daily mindfulness book titled A Year of Mindfulness by Lee Papa. It is, quote, we can control our lives by controlling our perceptions, end quote, by Bruce H. Lipton. And this really fits in my life right now in more than one space, but just really considering our perception considering how we are viewing and understanding the world and those around us and being very mindful that we have the power to change that despite the way exterior things may feel. So I just wanted to um, start the session with that. Yep, that's perfect. You can't see me, but I'm nodding my head a lot. (laughs) So jumping in to think a little bit about SEL, I think we should define a few key terms for ourselves. If anyone's not familiar with the term SEL, that just stands for social and emotional learning. And within the education space, I think we know that there's probably a few different definitions that float around about this, but I'm just going to share the definition that Castle, who they've put out a lot of great research and work surrounding SEL. They've been at the forefront of this work for a while now. So I'm just going to share out that definition of what they've put out. So according to Castle, SEL is the process through which all young people and adults acquire and apply the knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve our personal and collective goals feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. So we can see that there's a lot of great benefits when we think about developing this type of social and emotional competence for ourselves, for our relationships, and for our students at the end of the day too. This is a little bit of a wordy definition though. So I actually attended a conference a few months ago and uh, the current president of Castle, um, Aaliyah Samuel, I actually really liked the way that she had shared this out. She said, simply put, learning is a social and emotional process. That just hit for me, right? I think so much sense. (laughs) 
they go together. Contrary to what some people may believe, our brains are very complex, but emotions are essential for new learning. And so this process of learning is and has to be a social and emotional process. So I'm super excited. We're, We're digging into this. It's very important. And then specifically, why is this important in the classroom space? In education, why is this something that we really need to be addressing, even if there's not a set of standards that are telling you, teach it this way, it's tested this way on the test. Um, So let's dive into Vygotsky. His social learning theory states that we learn through our interactions and communications with others, and we are always learning. I'm probably speaking to a group of folks who fully believe that they are forever a learner, But I just want to reiterate that, that even if you're an adult, even if you are well-versed and have a variety of life experiences, no matter where you go or what you do, you are always learning. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the important part, like regardless if you are in the education space or not, right? As human beings, we are growing from our environments. We are growing from our interactions with other people, whether we realize it or not, whether we're conscious of that or not. And I think this is something I remember learning a while ago, and I thought this is really interesting, is that when we think about not even just what's taught in schools, but when we think about just this idea of curriculum, right? I think sometimes when we hear the word curriculum, it can just already be a little bit stressful because we already are thinking about the demands about, am I hitting this goal? Am I hitting this milestone or or data point at the end of the day? And when it comes to SEL in our school spaces, it actually doesn't need to be something that is incredibly explicit. And I think sometimes we get in our heads that I have to set aside time in my already busy schedule to think through this as its own uh, curriculum. But the thing about SEL is it doesn't just exist as an explicit curriculum. I should say it that way. Obviously, it's great if you can set aside that time, but curriculum can be something that is explicit, implicit, and null. And by that, I just mean, we obviously know our explicit curriculum as something that is just It's formally taught to us. It's something that we're taking notes on in our classes. Um, It's something that we have standardized testing goals about. And our implicit curriculum is just something that is more inherently understood in our classrooms, in our school environment. So for example, you sort of know based on what your teacher is saying that like, hey, I probably shouldn't be disrupting my class too much because the implicit curriculum, the implicit understanding that my teachers already sort of explicitly shared, but hopes for hopes for me to continue in the day is to not disrupt the class, right? That's an implicit understanding that we continue to hold. But a lot of the time when we think of curriculum or even just trying to demonstrate SEL in the classroom, I think we're thinking more about explicit and sometimes about implicit curriculum. But I think where it gets really interesting is when we think about what's the null curriculum. And that's something that's not explicitly taught. It's not implicitly expected but it is inherently and unintentionally understood. So Richard Milner has some great work out about culturally responsive teaching. And he sort of highlights this understanding of your null curriculum is just moving past what's laid out in the textbooks, what's laid out in your district benchmarking. And it's really just what do the students have the opportunity to learn at the end of the day? And these are things, like I said before, some things that we may not even be conscious So as an educator, I'm mindful of this, but I also think of it as a human being. What am I growing and learning from in my environment and from the people that I interact with that I may not even realize 
that I have learned from them, but I've had that opportunity to grow and learn from them. So am I being mindful of those opportunities also when it comes up? When we're in a school setting, our children are at the end of the day, they're learning explicitly, they're learning implicitly, and they're learning things that we may not have realized that they are learning. So at the end of the day, it's just just to say that when we are talking and thinking about social and emotional competence in the classrooms, it's just about giving those opportunities for students to succeed and thrive and be emotionally sound human beings, right? Hopefully that's not too confusing for, for us, but... Absolutely. Well said, Namratha. It um it really made me pause and think for a second about all of the times that I stop in my life as an adult and think, oh my God, what am I doing? My mother would do this. And it's because of this constant learning I did. And so while I may not intentionally have been taught or intentionally or explicitly been learning, there are so many things that I do in my life that were kind of just a result of being in her presence, being around her. Uh, and so when yeah. you're around children and you're around your students and other adults, they're learning from you, right? It's, it's all a part of that process, which definitely segues really nicely into our last topic for today. And that's the effective filter. Ooh, this effective filter, it can get ya. Okay. <laughs> um, I just want to call out that it's important to note that primarily this has the effective filter has been researched in regards to um, people acquiring an additional language. You burned it bilinguals, English learners as they're formally known, or English language learners as they're formally formally known. Um, but the premise holds true when we think about the the broader learning process. So, what is the effective filter? The effective filter is, is that it is a filter. It's an imaginary wall or filter that our learners or humans put up in our minds that blocks input. And therefore that cognitive process for learning to occur is stuck. There's a little bit of a resistance there. It's harder for that to take place. And this filter arises from feelings and emotions. We feel and we have emotions before we have anything else in our brain. That is where our fastest firing neurons live. And so your emotions come first before anything else. And we all do this. No one is subject to this less than others. It's something all humans do. So when we feel psychologically insecure in our environment, due to something someone said, due to the um, cultural norms that are around us, other factors, we raise that wall. And therefore, we have been, just like myself many times before, without even realizing it, you're feeling, you're reacting to being verbally and emotionally attacked in your environment, and you put that filter up to immediately protect yourself and to, to avoid engaging further in that space that you're currently in. And so when this happens, we lose the ability to process new information, which is detrimental in a classroom. Um, we also lose that connection we have with others, which we know is very valuable in terms of um, working to have people acquire new learning. Mm -hmm. And we, we lose that sense of openness, curiosity, inquiry, all of those things that we want others to do. They are unable to do that when their effective 
filter is up. Go ahead, Namratha. I just, I wanted to give um, one perspective on this too, because I feel like inherently it's actually not a bad thing. I think if we look at this from like an evolutionary perspective, right, we all have our defense mechanisms, right? So I'm sure back when we were all like hunters and gatherers and cavemen, you know, mm. we had our physical defenses that we allotted ourselves, right? Whether that our was- Our natural instincts that keep yeah. us alive. Correct. But now we've moved into this world where we don't need to actually have too many physical defenses. And it's a lot of it is within our own mind, right? It's a lot of psychological defense that we have kept for our own survival. But now, like you said, it does hinder ourselves in another way. It hinders our learning process. It hinders the connections that we could be making with the information in front of you, with the people that you're trying to connect with. So I just wanted to give that a little bit of that perspective. It's not inherently a bad thing, but we do have to now practice a little bit of that mindfulness around, is my filter raising up when maybe it doesn't need to be? And, or am I doing something that causes the people around me to raise their effective filter? Yeah. Um, And so specifically in the classroom, students need to feel psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. And that is the only time in which they're open and ready and primed for learning. So let's talk about three variables that affect this filter. One, motivation. Two, self-confidence. And three, anxiety. High motivation and high self-confidence with low anxiety means your filter is lowered and you are ready to go through and tackle and learn all of this new information willingly, comfortably. Conversely, if you're experiencing low motivation or self-confidence and high anxiety, you're raising this psychological wall and thereby blocking out anything coming at you into your mind, your mind is busy protecting itself by this perceived psychological attack. And therefore, the learning does not take place. I actually want to share a bit of an example about this because I feel like I found myself doing this. And now that I know also the terminology surrounding this, I think I've found myself doing this more often. And I can at least stop myself for a quick second before I let that filter get too, too high. But I had a loved one say this to me a a while ago. They were like, we were just in a bit of a tiff. It was all good at the end of the day. But they said to me, um, they were like, Hey, I want to have an intervention for you. And I was a little shook by that. I won't lie. I was like, when I heard that word intervention, my filter. Talk about a negative connotation on a word. Correct. Right. And like, again, intervention doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. But I already had like this thing in my head. I was like, what do you mean intervention? Like, that's a very strong word for me. So as soon as they said that, I felt my filter go up, like immediately defense raised. Um, And I like had to like step, step back. Actually, I had to step physically out of that conversation, too, because I was just not listening to that person after they said that word. Because I was like already feeling attacked. I was feeling insecure. My self-confidence was going down. My anxiety was rising up. All these things that we're talking about was happening. Um, And I had to step away physically and like think like, okay, I think this person, again, they're a loved one. So I know they're saying whatever they're trying to say out of love. But (laughs) this specific word I didn't realize is actually a trigger for me. I don't like that word whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I think it's a strong word. So I had to calm myself down. 
think it through and go back to that conversation and say, I would love to have this conversation with you. I think you're bringing something that you were really concerned about to me, but maybe if we can avoid this word, that would help me out a lot, be able to listen and be part of this conversation with you. So that was, that was a fun <laughs> example. That's courageous. That is yeah. courageous. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> not going to you for being really, really, really yeah. talked for a second there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I can think of an example that will haunt me for the rest of my life. I'm the younger sister of a very charismatic, busy, hilarious big brother who... <laughs> who was quite the character. Love him dearly. Shout out to you, Brandon, if you're listening. Um, but as his younger sister, anytime I got a teacher that he previously had, every single time, it would be my first day of class. We'd have the syllabus passed out. We'd be going through attendance. And I have a very, my last name, Brusky, but it, it's, it looks like a, a jumble of letters that confuse people. So it's very memorable. And every single time, they'd be like, oh, Brandon's sister. We have Brandon's sister in class. Now, mind you, I've never taken a class with my brother, though I do know my brother very well. But just that simple act of calling out the fact that Brandon's sister is in this class with a seemingly negative connotation, all I could think in my head is like, uh, he must just talk the whole time, crack jokes, get into trouble. Um, And so every time I was like, oh my God, I'm going to fail this class. This is going to affect my grade. And so if I walked into the class thinking that already, that absolutely impacted my ability to do well in that class because I already had my effective filter up. I already felt like there was, this was not a comfortable space for me. I was not psychologically safe. And so therefore it can impact my learning uh, until I got to a place where I I would get a little bit vocal, like, yes, you had my brother. However, I'm a very different person. I'm a separate person. So I'd appreciate it. Please don't place us together. Appreciate me. Uh, solely with your experience with him. Even if it's been lovely, I'm still my own person. But just as simple things, even the way you say things, the way you carry yourself when you're around children, you just be very mindful of whose effective filter is up and whose is down. And what can you do to help? others feel psychologically safe. I think that's, yeah, that's so true. And I, I think the name thing is actually really interesting because I feel like something small like that, like, you know, when somebody's just calling out your name and they're like, I'm sure for your, for whoever the teacher was, they just thought it was like a a fun, cute thing, Mm -hmm. but they didn't realize until maybe you were vocal about it too, that like, this actually was like something that's deeply affecting you to a certain level. Right. Yes. Um, I want to bring up one last example, I think, before sure. we get to our, our ending here. Um, I had something similar in a, in a different sense happen to me when I was uh, working with a group of students in an out-of-classroom setting. This was a few years ago. And my supervisor had asked me to uh, sit in and help another class. Um, and they were just like, because, you know, they were like, hey, you have some good activity ideas. Can you just go in and help them out with a few activities and just sit in and help them out? Um, and when I say sit in, sorry, this was during the beginning of uh, the COVID. So this was a Zoom call, right? And I feel like we all <laughs> know how students are over Zoom. Like everyone's just tired. We're all, again, like I think that filter was raised before we even realized it was like, we called it a filter, but people are just sort of out of it. So I think it was already a hard class for, I know the teachers in that room. 
in that physical, that virtual space. Um, but something that had happened to me, and I thought this was interesting as somebody I was working with as an adult, um, they introduced me as um, my, uh, they, they, my first name is actually pronounced something slightly different. And so they pronounced it to that way, which is the way my parents have named me and everything. And they pronounced it as Nemrata. That's how it's supposed to be said. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I prefer, I prefer to go by this other name. I just sort of gave them my nickname. And I had that person I work with, an adult, say, no, 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 no. But this is your given name. And I'm going to call you this name. And I want the students to call you this name. And I like, <laughs> yeah, stopping, pulling the brakes. I, mean, I Wait, kind what? of was a little shocked. I won't lie, because I was like, well, I'm an adult and I've sort of expressed, even if I'm not an adult as a student, right? If anybody's expressing to you that like, hey, I actually prefer to be called something else. Like, can you, you know, can you go by that name for me? Because that's how I can at least feel comfortable with you. Like you sort of expect somebody to take that as it is and just go with it. But it was a little, I, I, I was a little taken aback in that situation. And so I actually, um, I had to, thankfully I was muted, right? So I was, Again, I got a little upset, <laughs> but I was like, my goodness, I'm muted right now <laughs> because I'm not super happy that this person is calling me a name that I just don't want to be called right now. Mm. And so my filter went up along with a few different emotions that were also sure. rising. <laughs> um, but I think that's something to be thinking about, right? Whether you are, you know, working with students, working with colleagues, just as a human being overall, thinking about the ways that those little things can really rise. Um, raise somebody's filter um, absolutely how we, can, how we can maybe respect things like that just call <laughs> they want to be called to maybe lower that filter as well so I just wanted to put that out as a bit of a different perspective sure or if you're <laughs> you're um victim of the popcorn reading situation as a child if you've been personally victimized by popcorn reading, please raise your hand. Raise that hand. is me. <laughs> Just like the anxiety of like sitting there, like counting the paragraphs, counting the number of students in front of me. Like, when was it going to be my turn? Trying to rehearse the paragraph in my head. Like, talk about an effective filter raise. And like, right? <laughs> I, I, I used to go back and be like, am I on the right paragraph? Are they going to like read it or are they going to skip me? I would have all these random anxious thoughts going through my head. And, and like, finally the turn would come and I'd read it perfectly fine. But like, you couldn't tell you what I read, up. but I read it fine. You know, after all <laughs> that anxiety. But I read exactly. <laughs> right. That's a great point too, because when you're just so focused on the stress of having to read something, I don't think I ever remembered what I was actually reading on the page in that moment. Yeah, of time. Absolutely. Right. That's a great point. So we are going to wrap it up. We went a little longer than usual. We're trying to keep these short for your sprinkles. So we will wrap up every episode with something, a commitment that we have for the week, something that's bite-sized, doable, that we are committed to engaging in to help build healthy habits within ourselves. So Namratha, what's yours? Mine connects actually a little bit to what we spoke today, but I have been trying to practice this um, more recently. And it's just pausing and just taking a minute before I react to any situation, um, mainly because it's just a little bit of taking time for myself to, to formulate my thoughts, um, in terms of just communicating something effectively, but also just making sure I'm not misreading a situation. And I'm also just being mindful and respectful of the other person and where they're coming from in that situation. So 
just trying to pause, just trying to take a minute and just trying to say, okay, like I want to make sure I'm saying whatever I'm saying in, in the most loving and respectful way as I can, right? As a human being, which is of course a little easier said than done, but we're working on it. I but love I that. Do. I could integrate some powerful pausing into my life for sure. Um, the one that I'm working on is uh, I was listening to a another podcast by Justin Davis. It's called Who Can Relate with Justin Davis. Check it out if you haven't. It's a great, great podcast. But he was talking about how we set these like New Year's resolutions or these New Year's goals and, and how like the word goal has, has finality to it. It has an end. You achieve the goal and then it's done. And so he really wants to reframe, he's working internally himself to reframe into what systems am I working on? Because a system is sustainable and it's integrated into your practices. So for me, um, I am currently practicing relatively unhealthy, not relatively, super unhealthy sleeping habits. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, setting... Setting some sort of timer to tell me to go to bed is not working. And then I lay there wide awake. So I am committed to writing in my gratitude journal that I got um, every evening. And then I also am working on writing on it in the morning to really set the tone and the pace for my day. So that is a system that I'm looking to hopefully really enhance a, a large part of my life with just some simple daily practices. I love that. And I think the sleeping habit thing is so real. I think we're all struggling with that maybe a little bit. That's like just a very easy thing we can do, right? And just set that routine for yourself. Yes. So with that being said, thank you so much, SELEs, for tuning in. Episode one, there's much more to come. Like, subscribe, leave us a comment, give us a five-star review. We will love you for life. If you give us a (laughs) five-star review. Absolutely. Um, So yes, we we look forward to bringing some more information to you. Let us know if there's a topic you want to talk about. If you have questions, shoot us an email at sel at unitedtolearn.org. Or you can leave it in your comment or you can message us on social media platforms, which is all tied to United to Learn. So on that note... You You are loved, you are cared for, you are not alone, your feelings are valid. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.